Isaiah chapter number 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 1 and 2. <clears throat> Amazed at how the songs uh, just kind of fit into the message here again this morning. And uh, just that song that we just heard from the trio about being in darkness. Well, the message this morning is talking about that great light that came upon those that were in prison and those who were in darkness. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 1. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Now, so far, the places, the ge geographical locations that God mentions in this verse which is connected to the next verse and connected to a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ coming. There's Zebulun and Naphtali and, and uh, Jordan and Galilee, as Galilee of the nations or Galilee of the Gentiles. And so you, you have these areas that God is speaking about. And he says, in conjunction with the, with the thought to come, verse number two, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thank you, Lord, for this, your word. I pray that you'd help us to understand uh, some of the context and what was uh, prophesied here and how it was fulfilled. Lord, I pray that you help us to see some things that would be a blessing to us this morning. Thank you so much, Lord, for shining your light into the darkness of this world, into the darkness of my soul and and uh, shining upon me a great light. Lord, thank you so much for that. I pray that you'd help us to see some things that we would praise your name about today and for that person who is yet in darkness here, never been saved, never been born again. Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd, you'd uh, 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 alert them, that you would, you would speak to them again this morning, that you would, you would offer again your grace of salvation and pardon and light to that one who sits in darkness. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd, you would uh, speak your word to our souls here today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John the Baptist was noted for the job of being the forerunner of Christ. His job was to prepare the way of the Lord. He was uh, uh, the uh, um, MC, if you will. He was introduced in Matthew's gospel in chapter 3 of Matthew uh, listen as I read Matthew chapter 3. And those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, this was his message, he was talking about preparing for the Lord coming, he's saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now that was a uh, uh, prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40 in verse number 3. We won't turn there, but uh, that's what it said. It was, it was talking about John the Baptist going to be that one to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they, they used that very uh, wording. He goes on to verse number 4. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. I'd say that he was looked maybe eccentric, and that he was, his, uh, he was kind of not normal, okay? It wasn't a normal kind of city dweller. He was kind of, can we say weird, you know? Can we, 
Can we say, you know, not exactly uh, the uh, uh, run of the mill? You would kind of notice this guy from the way he looked and how he, his, his mannerisms, and, and he lived out in the wilderness. And then verse 5, Then went out to him, that is to John, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan. And they were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance." The baptism was symbolic, showing people that have repented or they're repenting and coming to God. But these people wanted the symbol but didn't have the the actual repentance. He says, hey, prove it. You say this is is, uh, uh, supposed to signify repentance. I don't see any repentance in your life. Bring forth fruits, meat, or that that, uh, goes along with or that (coughs) signifies or verifies repentance. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meet for repentance. He, he dealt with the, the, uh, the, the subject of repentance. And they came confessing their sins. And he uh, uh, spoke to those in, in the rebuke of their sin. Now, John was the unique individual of his day in that he called sin out. He didn't just close an eye to it. He didn't overlook it. He didn't uh, try to sidestep things. He, He laid things out as they should be laid out. And he called out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of the day, refusing them to allow to be, uh, to allow them to be baptized because it was obvious that there was no repentance. See, repentance had an outward evidence of a heart affected by a holy God. Peter began preaching in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, verse number 38, the same message of repentance. He said, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So this repentance, as soon as the Lord commissioned his church to go out and preach, and they did after the day of Pentecost, the very first message there, the first word he says is repent. Paul continued John the Baptist's same message to the early church believers in Acts chapter number six or 26 and verse number 20. But showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. It sounds a whole lot like John the Baptist, doesn't it? And that's Paul's preaching. This is not just to the Jews now, and it's turning to the Gentiles, and he's, this is the message is going out to the world, and it said, he says that people should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. As a matter of fact, it was this hot, politically incorrect preaching that landed John in jail, this, this uncomfortable preaching that John did when he preached about repentance, about turning away from your sin. When John pointed to the governmental leader at the time and looked at Herod and said, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Wow. Talk about a stand against sin. And Jesus acknowledged and agreed with this kind of a stand because 
of the Lord's stand against sin and his endorsement of John. I mean, Jesus would, would lay it out also, call out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. He would, he would nail it. He would uh, 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 say it as it should be said. And when he endorsed John in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 10, this is what Jesus said of John the Baptist. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. He said, now listen, this is God's plan, God's messenger. He's, he's doing what God wants him to do. He's calling it out the way it should be called out. He goes on to say, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. He says, John the Baptist is on target. He's preaching right. He's saying what should be said. He's preparing the way for the holy God to come through. Carl Lentz, pastor of Hillsong Church in New York, says that Jesus rarely dealt with the morality of his day when uh, the man was asked whether or not homosexuality is an outright sin. And you should hear the answer, just kind of dancing around the issue. And he, he says that, well, that's a personal issue. Uh, that, it's not something that, you know, I'm not going to, you know, uh, uh, come out one side or the other because it's just a personal issue, and so he's not going to really deal with it. And he claims that that's what Bible preaching is. Excuse me? When you see the, the, the prophets of old, when you see Jesus himself, when you see John the Baptist calling out sin and saying, that's not right, what you're doing is wrong, and it's not, it's not sidestepping morality. <clears throat> I could see uh, Jesus dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees of his day, saying, uh, well, of course I wouldn't call them snakes and vipers and hypocrites damning people to hell. I wouldn't do that which is exactly what Jesus did. When he was here, he laid it out. I can see John the Baptist saying, Well, Herod, what you do in your own bedroom is none of my business. Who am I to judge? Which is exactly what the preachers of today say. What? That's not John's position. That's not what he laid out. He laid it out as it should be laid out. How about we just demand the unvarnished truth? That's the only thing that's going to help us turn from our sin. Folks, we've got to come to repentance first. We've got to come to an understanding of who we are and our condition before a holy God and that we are lacking and that we have broken His commandments and we need to repent. We need to turn from our sin. That's exactly what John the Baptist did and that's the, the tenor of his message and Jesus' message. <clears throat> okay, well anyway, getting back to... John's predicament in Matthew chapter 4. That's where we pick up the narrative. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 12. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, by the way, that's the reason why he was cast into prison, because he laid it out and he says, it's wrong what you're doing. See, what Herod did at the time, let me fill you in. Herod came to power and because of his power, and because of, he could, and it, was, it wasn't right, but he did it because he could do it. He liked his brother's wife, and he says, you know what, I want that gal. And so he uh, somehow made the appeal and, and stole her from his brother. He says, no, you're going to be my wife. And so she jumped ship, and so now she's Herod's wife for whatever you know, praise or popularity or uh, opulence or whatever it was that Herod uh, uh, enjoyed. And so he got her to 
become his wife. And that's what John was uh, objecting to. He says, hey, you're, you're thumbing your nose in the face of a holy God and the institution that God has set up that a man should uh, be the husband uh, of a wife for his lifetime and, and uh, uh, that marriage should not be broken. And no, no, what happened was Herod was just doing what he wants to do. And John was calling that out. And so John was therefore in the crosshairs of Herod and especially his wife, Herodias, which didn't like him at all. I mean, it burned her to have John the Baptist out there on a stump preaching, it's not right what Herod's doing, and and exposing the sin all over the place. And boy, she was chafed at that. And she would get to him if she could, but, and the Bible says, Herod was afraid of John. He knew that he was a man of God, and, and the people were behind him. So he put him in prison, but he, he, he didn't want to uh, uh, take any further action because he feared God in that sense to where he kind of respected. He knew John was a man of God. He couldn't do anything until, you know, that whole story where Herod's uh, stepdaughter danced before him in vile, vulgar dance, and he in his drunken stupor, promised up to half the kingdom, ask what you want. And her mom says, hey, ask for the head of John the Baptist in a charger. I want to see John's head on a plate. And that's what she did. And after Herod already offered that amongst his friends, he couldn't take it back. So he ordered John to be beheaded. Well, this is right before his beheading. He's in prison. He's in a dungeon. He's waiting for the execution to take place. That's why John was cast into prison. For standing up and for saying the truth. By the way, if you say the truth, it's not going to be popular. Mark it down. Don't don't even think that you're going to be accepted and that you're going to be loved and that you're going to be the one that's sought after. No, it's it's something that is hard to hear. It's hard to take. And they... Uh, they uh, treated John this way and they're going to treat you that way also if you just speak the truth. But here the Bible says, now when Jesus heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. Verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zabulum and Nephthalim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zabulun and the land of Nephthalim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee, of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness. Hey, you remember those places? You remember this prophecy that, that hundreds of years prior to what was taking place, now being fulfilled? This was a herald that God said, this is what's going to happen? The people that are in darkness, watch what happens. This is the the fulfillment of that. Verse 16, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. Hey, the same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John, from prison, sent to Jesus for reassurance. You remember the story of his life, how that he was a strong, 
bold, outspoken man of God that was laying it out. But then after you see the results, then after you see what had taken place, he was, he was rebuked and maybe started to second guess. Wait a minute, is, is this what should be taking place? <clears throat> is, this, is this what should be happening? I'm, I'm speaking the word of God. I'm laying it out. I'm, I'm saying what God wants me to say. I'm just speaking the truth. I'm in prison. I'm about to lose my life. Is this what's, is this, is this what's taking place? Is this where it should be? And so he's, he, he sends to Jesus and he asks him, are you the one? Matthew chapter 11, verse number 2. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel, the good news, preached unto them. (coughs) Can you get the full picture here? A prison was a dark dungeon. It was was a a place of incarceration that was uh, the the most uh, demeaning, the most humiliating, the most offensive place that a a criminal could, could be. In punishment. When I was in Wales, I was able to uh, visit with uh, the Quades, and and uh, they they were very kind to. Uh, they'll take a, a visitor from out of town or out of country and show them the, the different places about Wales. And there was really some neat places, beautiful, beautiful area. To, uh, we went around England and Wales, and it was just it was just wonderful countryside. And and they have castles there. Their castles are stone. They're Castles that have been there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And, and they last, I mean, because they're built out of stone and they're built out of, uh, you know, rock. And, and uh, in s- several of these castles, there were um, dungeons. You know, a castle has to have a dungeon. <laughs> you have, you know, the tower, you know, where... Princess or Rapunzel sits in there. I'm not sure exactly what the tower does, but and then you've got the the, the dungeon, and that's where uh, the the evil criminals go and uh, go down to the castle and so or to the dungeon, and so they have to go to the dungeon. and And there's uh, places where there are um, uh, fetters, irons, leg irons, arm wrist irons that are there along the along the. Uh, um, walls of, of the dungeons. And uh, so I'm thinking, yeah, that's cool. Let's go down there. Let's see. You know, realizing that there were people that were sent down here. Many of them died in this place, this damp, dark, dark, uh, cold place of, that's cleaned out here. And, you know, we don't have the, you know, the, I mean, it's now all for show and we're, we're seeing these as, as, Tourists, but uh, no, no. Then there were refuse and uh, old, you know, rotting food and waste and and uh, vermin and and uh, 
dead bodies would, would remain there and, and just stay, and they would not clean them out. I mean, talking about a place of disease and, and a cold, damp, yuck place. And I remember going down into you know, several of these, and one, one particular castle I went down to, it was like <clears throat> a big tower. You know, they got the towers that would go up. But this was like, I don't know, three or four floors down in, in the ground. And it was like a big circular towering, and you, you'd take the steps down this castle, and it was just all of these, you know, uh, marble or, you know, rock steps that were going down, and you just go down and down and down and down until you get to the, to the, to the area where you see these, these leg irons and these things against the walls. And, and they're so far down, um, there were <clears throat> these maybe two to three inch uh, openings, little slits, and, and that was it. That was all that, that you could see from, from the, the position of a castle to the outside. And I guess when the sun just presents itself in a certain way, then light will come down to the castle. But that much light, that's it. I mean, talk about dark. You couldn't see. You know, they had lights down there. They had electric lights. There were no lights in the, in the use of castles. But when they would turn off the lights, you couldn't, even though there, was, there were these, these beams of light that came from the outside that, that would cut through the rock where the sun might come through, you still, it was so dark, you just couldn't see anything. And you could barely, and I remember, you know, going up to the, to the wall, trying to look out and try to see, the only thing you see is just a, just a thin sliver of light. That was it. Talk about a, a dank place, a dark, a depressing place to be. A place where the criminal was kept until trial or in, until execution. Goodness. No darker place. No place more morbid or hopeless. <clears throat> See, <clears throat> when the Bible says that Jesus came to a people that were, they sat in darkness. To them which sat in the region and shadow of death, his light sprung up. Those people that were in the darkness, it kind of, that was exactly where John the Baptist was. He was in that dungeon. He was in that dungeon and, and, and needing reassurance and needing the Lord to, to, to comfort his soul. There was no more uh, awful environment. It was in this context that Jesus burst on the scene with healing and with hope and with power and with, with a deified identity. He says, hey, the lame walk and the blind see and the, and the dead are raised and these things were prophesied of the Messiah that would come. And Jesus is in, encouraging. He's, he's strengthening John and he's saying, hey, this is what's taking place. <clears throat> the Lord has come on the scene and he was identified. <clears throat> See, John sat in darkness but was shown a great light. And along with John, the people of this region were sitting in darkness. And it was all the people, not just John, in that prison. There was no light. It was people that sat in darkness. The people that were incarcerated to, to their own sin. No hope. No freedom. 
No clarity. No escape without Christ. They were in the region and shadow of death. That verse again, Matthew 4, 16. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And it's not talking about just John in in that dungeon. It's talking about all the people of that land. All the people that were around where Jesus visited, the people which sat in darkness, they saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, as light sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And light came in into the, 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 uh, the room. See, in the dungeon of, of this world, it's, there, there's so many similarities that without Christ, before Christ, I will say the dungeon. We are the people that are in darkness. In the dungeon of this world, we experience darkness. Along with darkness, we face confusion and the unknown and doubts and questions. When you're in the dark, you just can't see. Wasn't too long ago that I was going to the bathroom. I got a bathroom that's right next to my, my bed, and at night, it's dark. And since that time, I think I've told you that we've got a little old man light now. So, <laughs> so it helps me not kill myself. But it was totally dark, and I got up, and I was, and I was kind of, you know how you, you, you can't see anything, but you, you count the steps, you know? If you were blind, then you'd know exactly, you know, that whole uh, premise. I remember taking Brother Elliot and bringing him to his hotel room when he preached for us. Brother Elliot's stone blind. And uh, so I took him into his room, and... And uh, he just asked me to stay just for a moment to where he would pace out the room. You know, I'd have to explain to him, okay, the bed is over here on the right. Uh, the the uh, nightstand is over here. There's a lamp over here. There's a table over here. And then he would pace out, you know, the, you know, the room and he'd count. And he'd say, okay, that's where that is. And he'd come back and he'd go, okay, now go to this side. And, you know, he'd feel and, and he'd count. He'd count how many steps because he cannot see, you know, and. And like I say, if you're blind, then you kind of do that thing. But, you know, if you're, if you're seeing, like most of us here, uh, you don't count. So I, I kind of miscounted <laughs> in my room, <laughs> you know, thinking that uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to the bathroom at night because I'm getting old, okay? So that happens a lot. So anyway, I'm going to the bathroom at night, and I'm counting, and I'm going, okay, one, two. And I think the door is like another two or, two or three steps Bam! Right in the door jam. Right in the door jam. And I'm going, ah, wow. <laughs> and the reason is because you can't see. Folks, if you're in darkness, there's confusion. You don't know. And when you're in spiritual darkness, you don't know. And you can't see. I remember before salvation, I used to think, what am I doing here? What's going to happen to me? I mean, who's out there? Is anybody out there? Does it ever matter what's going to take place? When I die, what's going to happen? I have no clue. Darkness. Darkness. See, that's a person in darkness without the light of the Lord. There's confusion and there's unknowns and there's doubts. You have questions that are not answered. Aren't you glad that you know Christ? Aren't you glad that, that he's rescued you and that he's saved you and now you have answers? I have answers. Uh, Psalm chapter 40, that's my verse. That's my, uh, my chapter. 
says that David wrote it, but I think I wrote it. Anyway, it says something like, uh, uh, he's brought me up out of a horrible pit. Uh, Take my feet up out of the miry clay and, and set me upon a rock and establish my going. He's, he's giving me a, a song in my heart. Folks, it's me. I was in darkness. That's why I can't sing the whole, the, the whole song. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul, because that was me. I was in darkness. See, when you're in darkness, there's just like that, that dungeon. There's depression. See, and the, the thing about it is, somebody who is, who is uh, <clears throat> relegated to the, to the dungeon, they're, they're because they're criminals. They're lawbreakers. They're waiting for judgment. Jesus said, now whether or not you're incarcerated or not, Jesus said, if you've sinned, then you're the servant to sin. He that sins is the servant to sin. Oh yeah, preacher, I could, I could just drink if I want to and, and quit whenever I want to. Yeah, right. Well, then why don't you? I could quit smoking whenever. I could, you know what? I don't have to look at that garbage and that junk that I, I do all the time. You know, I'm, I, you know I'm, I could, yeah, right. You're incarcerated. You're chained to that. You cannot. Prior to Christ, I remember that's one of the things that brought me to Christ is because I tried to clean up. I tried to do right. I tried to, to, to uh, uh, fix my life, and I couldn't. I'd keep on falling back into sin. I'd keep on falling back into sin, not realizing what Jesus' words, they were right, they were right on target. He that committeth sin is the servant of sin because that's a person who is in darkness. And when you're in that dungeon, like I say, it's usually because the criminals go there. Lawbreakers, transgressors. In that darkness, there's hopelessness. In that, in that darkness, is, it's darkness, folks. <clears throat> but darkness, by the way, makes our eyes very sensitive to light. You know, when you're in darkness for a long time, after a while, you, you can even make out images with the faintest of light. You come out of a, a, a bright day into, you know, a dungeon, you can't see a thing. I mean, but if you, if you stay there for a long time and your eyes get used to the darkness, then you're sensitive to the tiniest of light. Listen, friend. We live in a dark day, spiritually dark. And you say, well, it doesn't matter. My witness doesn't. No, uh, no, let me, let me say, your witness is effective. In a day like today, we, <clears throat> sometimes people lament, oh, man, it's so bad out there. It's just terrible. It's awful out there. What can we do? Hey, shine your little candle, you know, in a dark dungeon at blinding, you know. Because eyes that are, that are accustomed to the darkness are very, very sensitive to the smallest of light. Your witness is effective. In the dungeon of this world, we experience darkness. In the dungeon of this world, as those people around Galilee and, and those people before Christ came, experienced death. Well, that's what it says. It says, uh, uh, they which sat in the region and the shadow of death they sat in the shadow of death. <clears throat> we are certainly under the shadow of death. None can escape it. None are immune to death. N nobody can avoid death. 
And this shadow falls on everything. It doesn't matter what it is. When a shadow comes, it covers whatever that is. It's out there. Listen, we are in the, in the land under the shadow of death. Decay, loss, separation. Now, doesn't it make sense if you're assured of one thing, and that's facing death, you know you're going to die. You know, every time somebody dies, everybody's surprised. Oh, you know, he was so young, only 103 years old, you know. <laughs> you know, the Lord took him prematurely. Like, we know death is coming. You know you're going to die. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to die? Are you, are you uh, making steps to where when you pass off, are you, are you ready when you face the king of kings? You better prepare for death. If you're assured of facing death, doesn't it make sense to prepare for it? Folks, we, we live in that sh- underneath the shadow of death. All of humanity. I'm telling you, death colors everything. There's, 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 you know, we try to kind of avoid it. We don't talk about it. We use euphemisms instead of people dying, pushing up lilies. We say, oh, they went on or whatever. You know, that doesn't sound that bad. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Listen, we're, we're not going to be here forever. We live underneath the shadow of death and everything, everything that we do is colored by death. Jesus is the only one that is... Conquer death. Thank the Lord. Amen. In the dungeon of this world, we experience darkness, death. But when Christ comes along, we see dazzling light. Thank the Lord for that light. This was not merely a, a flashlight or an identifying night light. The Bible says it was great light. It was, it was dazzling light, blinding, powerful light, disseminating the darkness kind of light. Shocking light that demands a response. When Jesus comes on the scene and he lights up the world because he's the light of the world and he's coming to a land that's under the shadow of death, he demands a response. Agreement with God. It's called repentance, folks. Turning from sin. See, because when he shines his light, then all of a sudden, you know, you can see. You can see the, the score. When the, when the lights are turned off or down, you really can't tell. But when the lights are turned up, I've used this illustration about when I was in Bible college. I worked for a short I worked like a hundred different places when I was in Bible college. But this one place was a, uh, we were... Uh, janitors for different offices or restaurants or whatever. And there was this one restaurant. It was a restaurant uh, down on, on uh, Glenstone and uh, Sunshine. Right on Glenstone and Sunshine, if you're familiar with that, you know, uh, in uh, Springfield, Missouri. And it was a really nice restaurant. I can't remember what the name of the restaurant was, but it was one of those really, really nice restaurants. And I remember taking my wife there, and, and we sat in this one table, and it was so dark. I looked good. <laughs> that's, that's how dark it is. You know, they keep it like that where your food, you know, looks good. You smell food and you talk and you have a great time. And, you know, it's just, and it was just really, really a nice. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. Couldn't see much. Well, 
I was then employed to clean that, that place along with four or five other guys. We came in after hours. We came into that one room that I remember being at before. And man, this is a, a, a beautiful restaurant. Great. They turned on the light. And then you saw everything. There was food underneath on the tables, and there was garbage over here. And it, was, it was nasty. I wouldn't eat there now, you know, after looking at that. That's like, yuck. You know, you know what happened? Lights were turned on. Didn't see, didn't see all the dirt, all the junk, all the garbage. Didn't see that when it's dark. But when the light gets turned up, all of a sudden you see it. And you know what? When, when Jesus comes along, all of a sudden you see your sin. All of a sudden, you see your condition. And listen, if, if you're comparing yourself to somebody else, hey, you're not going to stand in front of the, 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 the throne of your neighbor being judged. No, no, the judge is the Almighty, the Holy One. You're going to be judged by His standards. And, and when you're in His presence and the lights are on, then all of a sudden, you see all the imperfections, you see all the nastiness, you see all the sin, you see all the, the problems that you have, and the closer that you get to God, you see yourself, and then you have to say, like, like Isaiah did, woe is me. Hey, folks, when the light gets turned down, blinding, powerful light, you, you have to agree with God, and that means repentance, turning from your sin. Now that you can see, now that you understand who you are, you must repent when Jesus comes along. Isaiah 9-2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. There's no more excuse. Hey, friend, there's no more excuse because the light of God's word, because of what Jesus did, there's light from heaven, divine light that is showing in your soul right now. No more excuse. You have light today. Upon you hath the light shine. That's what it says. Upon them. Light turned on to these people because they were exposed to Jesus. Hey, listen, that's us. What we need to do is we need to repent of our sin and come to him. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that me as the one that was guilty, that was sentenced to this dungeon, just awaiting trial, couldn't do anything about my own condition. I, I deserved of the judgment of God and Jesus came along and he died for me in my place. He turns on the light in the dungeon and says, here's your pardon. Would you take it? You know what? That might be you today. You've never been saved. You need to get saved. You need to get born again today. What you need to do right now, right now. You know about Jesus. <clears throat> now let's have some interaction with him. Meet him. Receive him as your savior. As many as received him to them give you power to become the sons of God. And you know what? They're freed. <laughs> Thank the Lord. They're freed. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. The light's on. Let's get up. Let's get out of the dungeon. And for you that are out of the dungeon, we have got some wonderful praise to give to him, don't we? I'm so glad that he showed up. I'm so glad that I was in that darkness. I couldn't get out. I was, I was done. I was done. He saved my soul. He came to, to do that for me because he loves me.
He loves you. Friend, listen, if you're not saved, you need to get saved. If you're, you are saved, you need to live in gratitude and in, in honoring him and bringing glory to this God that is taking you out of the dungeon. Every head bowed, nobody looking for just a moment.